Real fast, if you would like to fly to Los Angeles, go to a Hollywood party, the OK Magazine Summer Kickoff Party, see John perform live, we are able to do that for you. So our friends at SlimFest uh, are going to give you the chance to win that trip. Come to Los Angeles, stay in a great hotel, uh, come to a big Hollywood party, and John's going to play live. So that uh, that's at SlimFast.com slash Tesh, SlimFast.com slash Tesh, and you can enter for that chance to win. Okay, this is Gib Gerard. Hello, and welcome to another uh, Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. We are going to do things a little bit differently today. That's why I'm opening things up today. Um, I'm here with John Tesh, and we've been doing a lot of interviews about healing. We've done a couple of interviews with some doctors. We've just we've talked about content from the show. But what I've wanted to do since we started this podcast is sit down with John and have him tell you the stories that I've heard over the years about the start of his career in broadcasting. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, I'm going to talk to him about, well, not that just broadcasting, his, all of his careers. Uh, I think, well, we'll see how far we get today, but I think this is going to turn into a two-parter. But we'll start with this one today. So everybody, welcome John to his own podcast. Yeah, and I think that uh, the title of this should be, um, here are some things that you shouldn't do. Uh, <laughs> from, from a guy who has tried everything and uh, some of the stuff that hasn't worked, I can, I can make things easy on you and save you a lot of time. Because to me, everything is, is, is as you know, <laughs> been, we've been it's an experiment. Everything is interesting to me, and uh, whenever I see that look on your face, I'm like, okay, I'll try something else. <laughs> okay, so uh, first things first, so kind of where I want to start this is you. You started out. A lot of people know you as a broadcaster first, right? They know they know you from Entertainment Tonight, and then they know you as a musician second. Oh, this guy also plays the piano. In fact, now in, now that you're mostly on radio. I've seen a lot of people react in the same way, where they say, "Oh, I didn't know he played the piano when we're when we're out on tour and stuff." Um, but you start your first love is music. I mean, you were a musician before you were a broadcaster. Yeah, you know, and interestingly enough, I wouldn't say it was my 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 first love. I think it was my mom's first love. Mm. You know, um, where and I say this in concert all the time, where she, I still have, I get the hives whenever I see one of those Minute Minder egg timers. So her thing was her kids were gonna were going to have they were gonna be disciplined. She's a, a Southern Baptist from the from the Deep South. In fact, from rural North Carolina. In fact, where she lived, the town was called Rural Hall, where you had to walk to get the Dr. Peppers, and you'd only get Dr. Peppers in North Carolina. And so she decided that my sister Bonnie was going to be a cellist. My my sister Mary Ellen, but and older than me, nine and eleven years old. So I was basically an only child. And then uh, Mary Ellen was going to play piano, and then I was going to be play piano, and and I grew up in Garden City, uh, Long Island, where uh, in the elementary school, and this is so cool, it's be great for your kids, um, everybody had to be either in the band, the orchestra, or the choir, so it was, it was mandatory. I so think I that's really, important. I think musical, the music and the arts right. in general are really important. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it's, there's not, as we know, there's not, not as much of that you know, as there was. Uh, but, uh, so I really enjoyed being in the band because it was very social. Yeah. Um, uh, but I did not enjoy the piano because it was that that egg timer was set to like an hour an hour and a half and i had this piano teacher mrs andriani who i i love her i I don't think she's still around but she was one of those that would wrap your knuckles with the ruler if If you hold your hand oh my gosh hold your hand properly so i learned really on uh you know a lot of the songs that you learned on actually you know barca roll and and uh a lot of uh uh, like mozart's rondo and things like this so really it was it was a disciplinary thing to Mm me for me it, it, uh, things changed though when the Dave Clark Five came on um, Ed Sullivan, because that was the first band that we had seen really pop band with a keyboard player. 
Oh, so that was it. Was it for you? Yeah, and that was it. That was the Vox. Uh, or the the and the um, the Doors also were on that show. That was the Vox. Ray Manzarek, who obviously right, exactly the Vox Continental organ. So this was an uh, a, a a one keyboard organ, and, and, and until then we had only seen, you know, the the double manual organs mm-hmm. in the church. And this was a not only was this a, a rock keyboard made by Vox, which also made big amplifiers, but the keys were backwards. So the black keys were white, the white keys were black. Oh, oh. I know, so it was super cool. It always went out of tune. I couldn't afford it. So um, when I saw them, I went to, there was a place called Western Auto. I don't know if you ever heard of Western Auto on, on Long Island. Uh, I haven't. I, I, I did yeah, live in Long yeah, Island I think it in the became 60s. Sears, oh. um, but it was one of those places where you could get um, you know, diapers and a car, uh, <laughs> and, and you could get, you know, you could get an amplifier, uh, and, and the Magnus chord organ was my first organ. And it was, it, it was, it blew air. It was a, it was a basically a giant fan, not a giant fan. It was the size of your hand, but it, it blew air over reeds. So you, you hit the keys and it would go. Was there a delay like that? Yes. Oh so my gosh. I was in my first combo as my mom called it, you know, in, uh, in, I was, what was that? I was 10. So it was 1960. Um, and uh, we were playing the garage band, and I had a microphone. I, I'd rigged up a thing where there was a microphone going into an amplifier. And so when we finished, um, when we finished a song, there wasn't silence. It was my my organ going at like full volume, you know. <laughs> and so I always had to play a little bit ahead of what the band yeah. was. I had to anticipate what the chords were, and it was just terrible. Oh, I can't, I, it's impossible to play in time yeah, that way. Yeah, and imagine. I mean, you've heard me talk about this on stage, but imagine. You know, I was so tall in junior high school, for example, and you know, I was well over six feet, and I weighed 155 pounds. You know, and so do the math on that. Uh, so I was really hideous. You were a reed. I was a reed. Yes, I was hideously uh, thin. Um, but this, I, I felt like this being in a rock band was my way to actually meet a girl. Mm-hmm. And work, did, it, it didn't work out. It didn't work out. I just ended up being a skinny uh, keyboard player. But it was. But you know, you have to. It's. It's like I'm always asking. I mean, you see it with your daughters. You're like, you know, what's your what's your power? What, what's your superpower? And right now, your oldest, you know, who is five, you know, I can just see her stature changing because because soccer, mm-hmm. she now has a she now, she now yeah. that's now defining her. So for me, being in a rock band, and and listen, your parents didn't take it seriously back then, but it was like, okay, he's doing, and and it was like, you know, whose house can we practice at? Right. So we normally practiced at my house because I had like a finished basement. Yeah. And, and then, then, then you become the the unfireable member of the band, whether you can play in time or not. No, 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 no. You actually you're onto something. But the guy who was unfireable and um, Eddie Goodwillie was this guy. <laughs> he had um, he had the sound system. Oh yeah. So he had the PA system, right? And uh, and the PA systems back then were called custom and with a K, and they were made out of Naga hide. So it was like you know plywood with Naga hide on them. So, you know, typically what you would do is you would... You why, know, why did they make it out of such weird things in the 60s? I don't know, but it was... I'm sure there's some of those around, and they're really... Yeah. They're, they're, you know... Sure, they sound great. Very valuable, yeah. But what you did was, um, there was that... You know that Sony microphone that all the uh, the old crooners had? Yeah. You know, it's like, like silver with a mm-hmm. slot, yeah. So everybody had that microphone. I can't remember what the model number was. Um, so you play it out of your amps, and then your, just your voice came out of the... Uh, and so you learned you learned, like... 20 songs and then you repeated them because you didn't have enough so you played hey joe from uh oh yeah and hey joe fast hey joe slow hey joe mid and then so that's three songs <laughs> that's three songs well because what happens what happened in the dances was is that the the guys would always come up to you 
there's no tipping, but the guys would come up to you and say, hey, you know, on Long Island, right? They'd say, hey, can you play me a slow song? You know, because they'd want to hold on to their girl. Right. And guys couldn't dance like you danced. You were a good dancer, but guys couldn't dance. I'm they, an awkward dancer, but I enjoy myself. Well, that's you, the difference. Because you were committed. You yeah, were committed yeah. to it. I've seen you on the dance floor. Um, but this was one of those things where guys, uh, you know, we couldn't really dance. And so they would come up and they'd ask for a slow dance. So you had to make everything as like, you know, uh, I'm not gonna do that one, uh, but like a Sam, Sam and Dave songs and things like that. Um, there'd be a fast version and a, and, and a slow, and you made, and you just sold it. You made it happen, you know. <laughs> and then everybody, and you, if you could, you could seem kind of hip, like, oh, I'm gonna do a slow version of Come on, right. Light My Fire, right? right. Well, and that you know, and when Light My Fire came out from uh, you know from the Doors, every keyboard player had to play that solo. <laughs> and, and then the cool thing was because of the Doors is that you could turn that song into a 12 minute song. You oh know, yeah, and you're like, ah, I'll get paid for this. You know, <laughs> you just eating up time. That's yeah, yeah. Like it's a, like you know, you know what it is. It's like doing the Olympics. You just got to eat up time. You know, it's like give me another 15 minutes. You're clock watching with your high school band. <laughs> Absolutely, you know. Um, and then they had the uh, uh, actually, you've heard this before. I think at uh, at, at Canacook, that great Christian camp. They, you know, if you were we the CYOs, the Catholic youth, youth organization, had the best dances. And they had the cutest girls, and so they we, still do. I don't know. We got we got called to play a lot of those dances, and um, uh, but you, they would have the nuns would be there, and they 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 would like put put their hands between the slow dancers, and they said, "Was it get, leave us something for Jesus? What was it? Leave room for Jesus. Leave room for Jesus. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. never that didn't go away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that's great. And somebody would try to spike the punch bowl, right? And um, and then and, you get yeah, and, and, Vinnie and Barbarelli. It, it got to the point where. Uh, I eventually had a, got a Leslie. You knew what a Leslie yeah, is. It's, but a most spinning, are, it's a spinning organ cabinet, right? So there's a there's a speaker. It's it's a nice it's a nice mahogany cabinet, very very heavy, and you normally put a B three organ through it, which is what you know, all the great sounds there, Booker T and you know and Billy Joel's albums and all you know all of that, and especially uh, Sly and the Family Stone. And there's a speaker that points up and a speaker that points down, and then there's a, a plastic horn that rotates at two different speeds, and that gives you that amazing we can just hold one note and all of a sudden it's a solo as you turn as you as you make the speed changes we're really geeking out on this i'm sorry um but that was i i ended up getting a i couldn't afford a b3 so i bought a farfisa combo compact deluxe which was the sort <laughs> it of sounds like a ripoff and i and i, I paid for it with the uh, money i I, uh, I made cutting lawns so once i had that this is it, like an americana story so far <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's like you know it was and i, and I think the reason it was so I was so important to me is that I really was, we had some very, very popular kids at Garden City High School. Garden City High School was, was like a performing arts high school. And I, the only way I could plug into anything was to be the best organist. You know, they, nobody wanted me in their band, mm-hmm. but it was like, well, this is the kid that can play that stuff. We can't so, play the doors if he's not here. Right, right. And, and so uh, uh, that, that's how I got the gig, you know, the gigs. Did you thank Ray Manzarek for that? I've never met Ray Manzarek. I feel like I've met everybody, you know, uh, because of all those entertainment jobs. But um, I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where you feel like you know somebody. Yeah. It's like, you know, when I, if, if, we're, if we're up at the, uh, the Glen Center, you know, where we hang out in Los Angeles, sometimes, you know, and uh, I've seen, you know, Warren Beatty there. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, uh, uh, I've seen, um, what's his name? Jack, Jack Nicholson. And, you know, they'll see you and they'll see me and they go, Johnny. Johnny, what's happening? Hey, how you doing, man? Good to see you. And like I've ever met them before, mm-hmm. but I've never done interviews with either one of those guys. <laughs> but for everybody who saw me on Entertainment Tonight, 
it's like they, 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 it's like I become I'm Johnny for some reason, you know? So, um, I think, I think they just, because I think Johnny Carson also <laughs> led, Ray, led yeah, the yeah, way yeah. for you How on that. We get to, oh, we were talking about Ray Manzarek. So no, I feel like I know him mm-hmm. and I feel like I could, there'd be a wink and a nod between us. Like him saying, yeah, I'm sure you memorized all my solos. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's gotta be cool to be him. Uh, and, and Ezra have, have, have been the guy that made it so that someone like you could play with your, with your yeah. band. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the band, it's like, you know, it's like, it's like boxing for inner city kids The you know, the band was, was, especially on Long Island, you know, so many great bands came out of Long Island, you know, you know, Julie, Billy Joel, of course, the most famous, he was in a band called the Hassles, um, and actually John Small, who, who, you know, he was a, mm-hmm. a director that did one of our specials, he was the, the drummer before Liberty, um, but he was, you know, we, it was, uh, my joke is that Billy Joel and I, we were in a band called the Best of Both Worlds, which was a, um, a Blood, Sweat, and Tears cover band, and so uh, I, I say that it was a it was a rival. Ba- we were in a rival band to the Hassles, Billy Joel's band, but it wasn't much of a rivalry. If Billy turned down a gig, we got it. <laughs> but we were happy to be Pepsi. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's that's incredible. I, I, did you meet him back in the day, Billy Joel? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was you know he was known as you know Billy and and I can't remember his B three player's name. They were really royalty. You know, you didn't really approach them. I mean, they you know. Um, I've met Billy and interviewed him a couple of times since and he's the sweetest, sweetest guy. And, and, and I love that he's doing these concerts at Madison square garden. But, um, if you really look at Billy Joel's, I know you've studied this music for, for so many years. Um, but if you look at his music back in the day, what he was doing, songs he was writing were, I mean, nobody could write songs like that, you know, maybe Elton John, but Elton was so different. Yeah. And it, across the pond. Billy was a lot like, you know, Springsteen with the, you know, just writing songs about, about his youth and where he right. lived. Well, you, I, I, I've talked to a few minor league baseball players, and they all tell you that that when they're playing in the minors, they can tell the guys that have it that will get them to the majors that oh, that's that edge. Yeah. And it sounds to me like with Billy Joel, you guys knew just like this guy, this guy's gonna be it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the sad thing for Billy is that you know he had a he had a manager that apparently just messed things up and took a you know, took a bunch of money. But I remember being at he made it back eventually. Yeah, I know. It's just continued. I, 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 I was up at April Blackwood. You know, see, back in the day, there was a place called the Brill Building, and it still exists. And it's where a lot of writers, uh, including Springsteen, they would go and they would they would get. You know, there's people think now that it's like, oh, you write you write an album and you stick it out there and you make a million dollars. But a lot of these guys were signed to publishing contracts, mm-hmm. and that was really important. So for for survival, so Billy would get and any of these guys, they would get like, you know, whether ten thousand dollars or something like that, and then the publishing company would take you know, X percentage, 10, 20, 25%. Uh, and then they, their job was to, you know, get the songs and still is uh, on, on TV or on the radio or, or whatever. So they would, you know, they, so Billy had April Blackwood music was his publisher. And I ended up, I had a friend, Carter Cathcart, who you, you, you've heard about. He, uh, he worked at April Blackwood. He, he did takedowns. In other words, he would take, Billy doesn't read music. So Billy would write a song and then Carter was hired to come in and write out the lead sheet so you could have it in a, in a Billy Joel book. Yeah, and sense. Carter took me to this room once and showed me Billy's royalties and his royalties back in the day. And, and this was 1977 were $660,000 a month. Oh that's gosh. what his royalties were. You know, so I, I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. I don't think well, that's, I mean, that's like, uh, that's wall street money. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you, it just every month it just kept, and, and he deserved it. Yeah. Oh, he wrote some great songs. Um, I want to get back to to you on Long Island. So I mean, that's an amazing story about Billy Joel. But but so you guys are playing in these 
we'll not call them opposing bands, but we'll say complementary bands. You you were the Billy Joel supplement. When yes, Billy I was. Joel isn't yes. available. Yes, I you, was Pepsi. You, you would get in there. Um, and and that was high school. Yeah, it, it was. And and the and the band. I think you really would have liked the band. We ended up playing it um, at graduation. Actually, you would have loved this band. Um, I played um, uh, organ, and I also played valve trombone. And the guys in that band, Larry Zampino um, and Doug Hedwig, for example, they both ended up being professors at uh, Manhattan School of Music and Eastman School of Music. Uh, they were just that good. You know, it was it was they were really renowned as I was lucky to be in the band. I mean, they were they were renowned as. Um, as great performers, and Zampina, Larry Zampina was just t- tremendous. He sounded like Hendrix, and so that was the most popular band in the probably on that in that part of uh, of the North Shore of Long Island. Um, and the reason I got the gig was because I could read. You know that whole thing when 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 Mom, uh, you know, had me learn how to how to read music. I didn't want to learn how to read. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to play. You know, but she but I got had that background, so um, I was able to, you know, to play all the horn charts that Hedwig wrote out and then I could, and I could go and I could ad lib on the, and I wasn't, I wasn't fantastic, but I loved blood, sweat and tears. Mm-hmm. And so in playing spinning wheel or something like that. And, and, and Doug, um, Doug Vargas was, you know, spinning wheel. He could sing all those, those songs. And it was, gosh, it was so much fun. You know, we made no money. It was, yeah. it was mostly how we had to rent like sound systems and stuff, but it was, it was a great time to be in a, in a band. And so that was like the first time that you felt like the discipline that, uh, that annoyed you so much as a kid was paying off. Yeah, it was the first time I really enjoyed music, you know. And and also remember, those were the times when you know there wasn't there weren't any CDs, there wasn't anything online, of course. And so you would, you know, somebody would bring somebody would get uh, be in a record store when they had a delivery of like the new the new Blood and Swears, Sweat and Tears, or Chicago album or mm-hmm. something like that. Because I've always loved that. And I, today, right, we do big big band stuff, you mm-hmm. know. We, um, always loved those heavily arranged uh, albums and they'd have that album you know and they put it on you'd be in the basement and you'd all be sitting down trying to figure it out you know yeah, and, and you'd what move did the, they do there move the, move the needle back yeah. you know imagine when sergeant peppers first came out yeah. so yeah so sergeant in high peppers, school pet it, sounds i mean yeah, you're sitting there all, thinking about, yeah, yeah all of that stuff so um it was a it, and you didn't have anything else to do there was no social media so what you would do is you would you would uh try and learn what they were doing on the uh on the victrola on the uh, turntable that's incredible and uh, so uh, what's, what's funny is you would sit there and listen to the record. Now I would just Google what the chords are and, right. learn, and learn it that way. Right. So you had to figure it out. You had yeah. to write it down and no. then you would share it with your friends. You'd mail them a letter with your, <laughs> with your, with your idea. <laughs> I know. I, I, actually, it's pretty exciting to, you know, and, and, and watching you, you know, as we're out, we're out here on the road, you know, between concerts and, and. Well, we and, should tell people right now we're sitting in a hotel room. Uh, while traveling for 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 your for your concerts, this is yeah, an and for your time. concerts too. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it, I mean, let's be honest. The people are not coming to see me, but they're excited <laughs> once they see you. Yeah, we're in Sellersville, and then we're headed to um, uh, I can never remember Alexandria and West West Hampton. Then we'll be after this podcast airs. I guess we'll be in um, in Atlantic City. But if you go to teshmusic.com, you can figure out what. Anyway, what I was going to say is that. It's it, you know it's you what you did is uh, is very similar to what I did except it was um, I mean there's there are parallels but um, I I had I had the album on the uh, on the record player <laughs> for the word record player Victrola and uh, and you decided you want to learn how to play the, the ukulele right and so you went uh, you ordered an uh, you ordered a crappy one and then you ordered a nice one on Amazon and then you learned on YouTube yeah um, and that's I mean that's that's just totally cool because, you know, everybody's thinking, oh my gosh, you know, the, the, back in the old days we did this, but this is a, 
what's happening is more kids are learning how to play instruments because there's more ways ways to get taught that. I think small, cheap instruments are going to be the way to <laughs> yeah. future. I'll see if I like this before yeah. I invest $20,000 yeah, in a trumpet. Yeah. The sad, you know, I, th- I have to tell you, the saddest time for me was um, I had to make a decision, and it was my, it was my junior year in high school, and there was a thing called the Experiment in International Living, and it was a great opportunity. They picked 10 kids out of the school, um, you know, based not on, on academics because I never would have been picked, but it was, it was sort of like ac- a little bit of academics and then all around stuff and things you were doing. So I ended up as an exchange student to Sweden, um, and, and, uh, and they were going to pay my way and I was going to be there for like six months, you know, and, um, and I, 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 I realized that we, our band was at the peak and we were going to play in the Catskills and we're at, you know, all the beach clubs oh, and everything. Wow. And I had to make that decision and, uh, to go. And, and I, I decided that it, with the help of my parents, you should go. Um, to leave school and go and and uh, and be an exchange student in Sweden. And the wildest thing is, uh, I got there, and you know they match you because of your profile. They match you with a family that's going to be you know something complimentary. Uh, complimentary, thank you. And uh, so er- you know Eric and Lars Lundberg and his parents. That doesn't sound were, Swedish. No, and they were my parents, and we were in. I thought I was going to be in in Stockholm, mm-hmm. and we ended up in um, uh, in uh, Umeå. U-M-E-O with a thing over the top of it, which is at the top of the world in Lapland. Yeah. And it was just freezing cold in the summertime, and the sun never went down. And uh, But my brother, my Swedish brother, quote-unquote, Lars, played guitar in a rock band, and he also had a B3 organ. So I I don't think I've ever told you about this. No. I, I played organ in a bar uh, like three nights a week with my and, – and the, and the Swedes – they probably the same in, in in the other Scandinavian countries, but I mean they were playing uh, rock music better than anybody was in the state. I mean jazz, and and even to this day, you know, as Tim Landers, our bass player, is heading to Switzerland, you know, they really reward jazz so well. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing in this band. I think, well, I, I, I'm just in a different band right now, and it was it was really incredible. Um, I I enjoyed it, and um, and there were I, I I learned a lot because they were playing. They were so advanced there. And the disc jockeys were, were uh, uh, draft dodgers uh, during the Vietnam War. So there were a lot of Americans over there. That's incredible. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to find out why you didn't go straight into being a musician after those incredible experiences. Right. So what? Real fast, I hope you're enjoying this. If you would like to see John live and come to a real Hollywood party, the OK Magazine Summer Kickoff Party at the W Hotel, go to slimfast.com slash Tesh for a chance to win. Our friends at SlimFast want to fly you and a friend out here to L.A. for a real, like, an amazing Hollywood party. Celebrities are going to be there. Uh, John's going to be there, obviously. Uh, I, I'm going to be there. So anyway, I don't want to talk about this for too long. I want to get back to this stuff. But that is totally available to you slimfast.com slash Tesh. I'm really excited about it. Please go there, sign up. We'd love to see you out here. Okay, so we're back. Um, back here on the road in in the hotel room. Um, and you were just talking about all of these amazing things that you were able to do as a musician in high school, but you didn't keep being a musician. You went to college. And why did you go to college? Yeah. Uh, and you didn't study music in college either. No. You know, first of all, when you're talking about the amazing things that I was doing in high school, everybody was actually in a band in high school. It was, a, it was, the, it was like it wasn't sort of special. I it mean, sounds we, like your bands were better than our, just being our bands in a were, band. were more interesting, I think, than most. And, and the reason our band was called The Best of Both Worlds was because two bands broke up. And and they took like three players from, from each band. I was lucky enough to be you know, one of those. Actually, four players. It was a big band. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so everybody was was doing that. But my parents really didn't place any value on that, and so um, I, 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 which I, is ironic since they were the ones that got you started. Yeah, but they, it wasn't a it wasn't a um, uh, they they didn't think it was a uh, what's the word I'm looking for profession a valiant profession or a uh, respected pr- profession. Mm. So, and I actually had you know the summer before my before I went off to North Carolina State. Uh, I had a music scholarship to Kansas State, and uh, for 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 the for the summer, and they said I couldn't I couldn't do it. But I remember my dad, my dad, you know, World War II veteran. He was just saying, you know, there's no way to make a living being a musician, so you're gonna have to pick something else. So I, you know, I got an early decision at, at North Carolina State, and and he decided that I should be in textile chemistry. Why not? I, right, and uh, and so I said, okay. People well, yeah. always got to wear clothes. You're and right. They're gonna need people to right. manufacture them and right. oversee the manufacturing. Right. So textile so chemistry I was mis- makes sense. I mean, I was miserable. It was uh, it was every course that your wife has ever had or taught or that you've you had. You know, it was all the physics, chemistry, organic chemistry, quantitative analysis, statistics. You know, all that, all that stuff. And then meanwhile, I was in the practice rooms. NC State had you know these you know, like a hundred of these piano rooms. I'd be in there all the time playing piano and and I was trying to find other ways to express myself so I, I you know I played soccer and, and and lacrosse but it was a um, it was sort of a wasteland for me as far as I, you know I wonder what would have happened if if I had gone to a, to a, a music school but um, you, you know I'm always saying that you either you know your your passion will eventually track you down and, mm-hmm. and, and that ended up happening in a rather bizarre way as you know well, so tell me about that. So you're <laughs> studying textile chemistry just for those of you who are not following along at home John did not become a textile chemist right uh, he became a broadcaster musician. So how did that change? Did you go in? Did you finish your textile chemistry degree? No, what happened? No, I had about, uh, it was the end of my junior year and I had, gosh, I must've had a hundred credits or something like that. And I find, I took, I took with, from John Malcolm, I took the only television, uh, Steve Thomas, who, you know, he, um, uh, he was in liberal arts. And so mm-hmm. he was taking, he had signed up for a television radio one hundred and one. we were in the same fraternity. And he said, Hey, listen, if you want to bring your GPA up, uh, take this course with me in a t- a radio and television 101. I said, what the heck is that? And so um, I took it, and within, I say within two weeks, I got bitten as, as hard uh, by the bug, as hard as you've ever been bitten, where it was like, oh, my gosh, wait a second. I can, I can uh, go shoot a, a camera and be in front of the camera, and I can have a project finished by the end of the day. So for somebody mm-hmm. who has ADD, yeah. it's tremendous. You know? um, so I decided I was going to change my major to, uh, to music and, uh, and communications, uh, but an important safety tip, if you're going to change your major, it's probably a good idea to tell your parents or discuss it with them. But I really <laughs> didn't want to hear the, uh, I didn't want to ask a question I didn't want to hear the answer to. Right. So I went to my professors and it was after the drop ad time. And I went to my professors and I said, this is what I want to do. I have a passion for this. And everybody said, oh, I, I hear you. Okay, don't worry about it. I'll sign the drop ad card, you know. And then my statistics professor, I went to him and he said, well, listen, you got a C in the course. I think you should finish this out. I'm not going to sign your drop ad card. And I was devastated. I realized that. I was going to have to go another semester and I'd be behind, you know, and, and, uh, I was still going to have to go a fifth year anyway to do anything in, in, in music. And, um, so Steve Thomas said to me, and I'm still friends with him. He said to me, uh, Hey, just do what I do. And, uh, just sign the professor's name to the drop ad card. They never look at that stuff. It's a, what, what's the big deal? You know, you could, you should be able to drop the course, you know, it's like the devil on your shoulder. Yeah. Is exactly what it is. Yeah. No, please. You know, and and you're still friends with this guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you why in a minute. But um, so I did that. I signed the I signed the professor's name, and they and the end of the semester came, and my grades came. I was working at my dad's textile mill in North Carolina. Um, well, I lived in North Carolina at the time because we had moved to get in-state tuition, 
Plus, my parents loved it there. So I'm in school in Raleigh and there in Winston-Salem, and then I'm working in the mill watching cloth go by, which is really awesome. And, uh, and uh, so my grades come, and a letter, and my father calls me from work. I mean, calls me to come home from work. I'm thinking, what's this? I get home. He's holding this letter, and long story short, the letter said I had violated the honor code at North Carolina State, and they were throwing me out. Wow. And they gave me an F for the course. Turns out the teacher did check. And <laughs> uh, so I... Um, oh, they never check those things. You'll be fine. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So uh, real quickly, what happened was they threw me out of the house. I had a, a Volkswagen Fastback 1967, which I had paid for by cutting yards. And uh, so that was mine. I had a pup tent. How good was it, your yard cutting business? You're buying, right? You're buying instruments yeah, and cars. It was, it was great. I had I had like 20 houses. You know, yeah. um, I was good at that. <laughs> that was the last thing I was good at. So uh, the so la- landscaping said, is what you should have gone into. Uh, landscaping, I know. Yeah. Gee, I know. Actually, just doing our house at home, I could make some money. So, uh, but I had to get the hives whenever I have to do that. So anyway. My parents just said, you've disgraced us. And, you know, my mom had that look on her face like, oh, gosh, don't throw my kid out of the house. But they, what they did, they threw me out. I had no place to go. I didn't want to stay in Winston-Salem. I didn't know anybody. So I got in my, in my little car where it was burning oil. And I put the pup tent in the back. And I drove to Raleigh. And I lived in a park. And I pumped gas at College Esso. It was not an Exxon station at the time. And I got a job at C.C. Mangum doing, um, they trained me to be a backhoe operator. So I went from spoiled college kid mm-hmm. to uh, hanging out with guys with no teeth who ate Twinkies and, uh, and tall buds uh, every day and talked about uh, and, and just had made disgusting comments about girls all the time. And I was just like, you know, this is a kid from spoiled brat from Long Island. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden I was in the real world and it was a terrible place to be. And I remember crying myself to sleep. My friends wouldn't talk to me anymore because they didn't want to be around me. And so my life was ruined. The end, right? All right. Yeah. So to join us next week. No, uh, I ruined so, my own life. I mean, right. I, I did. I so did how, how did you? Down. How did you get out of that? What What was it that you you had taken this broadcasting course? You were you were trained and good musician at that point. You would disgrace your family. We'll just leave that at, as at face value for now. Uh, wh- how do you get out of a situation like that where you? I think there was a lot of people listening right now who might feel maybe not in that exact situation, but a similar situation. What did you do to get out of it? Well, you know, you start to think. Because a backhoe operator was making, I can't remember how much money it was. Maybe it was like eighteen dollars an hour or something like that. But a backhoe operator made 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 good money. I, and I, and you're you know you're basically digging ditches with a with a uh, with a shovel on what is it called a steam shovel on one end and a and a, and a hole Bulldozer on the other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, I'll be able to you know to rent a small apartment, get out of the park, and uh, and I was working on the weekends. Um, uh, at that point, and, your whole goal was to run a backhoe. Well, I just didn't think there was a future for, for anything else. I thought I, you know, I was incredibly. I don't think anybody knew what depression was back then. Um, I sold my car. I bought a used Honda motorcycle, like a 150 or something like that. So I was like, <laughs> and I taught swimming on Sundays. It was just, it was terrible. Uh, and I used to try to memorize Jimi Hendrix songs in my in in my head. I mean, it sounds goofy, but what happened was, I really when I got bit by this radio television bug, I really just wanted to do that, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. And so I had a friend at the campus radio station at WKNC, and he said, you should make a demo tape. And so uh, I said, how do you do that? He said, come in, I'll help you. And back then it was reel-to-reel tape. And so uh, I went in there and I started practicing reading news copy from the from the teletype machine 
and uh, he would give me a couple hours a night, like late at night. And I made um, I made up a uh, a little uh, a little read, right? I read to the to real to real, and then I went to the only radio station that I knew in town, WKIX AM. There was no F, FM was really just starting. And I said I'd like have hair down my shoulders, and I said I, I'd like to. I came in with flip flops, and I I went to I met Scott White, the news director there, and I said I'd like a job. And he said, Do you, you know, have you ever done uh, uh, done anything like this? And I said, No. He said, Well, listen, we're a commercial radio station. You know, we're not just hiring people, but right. come in and do a demo. I said, Well, I have a demo here, and he said, No, no, no. I want to see you do it. You know, to make sure. You know, so your, uh, your friend's not doing the demo. Yeah, for I know you? exactly right. So I sat down. Uh, in front of the microphone, scared out of my mind. He handed me a piece. He said, just read this. I said, can I rehearse first? He said, no, just read it like this. And I was terrible. And he was very kind, Scott was. And I just, I just went and saw him again, you know, in a, in a, um, uh, in a reunion. So you, you know that this may have turned out okay. So uh, foreshadowing. So I, I did this demo. He said, this is, I'm sorry, uh, John, but, you know, we just don't have any work for you. This, these people have, have, people have had 10 years experience that are, you know, that are not even working here. So I went, I said, gosh, what am I going to do? I went back to this station, long story short, and I made another tape. And what I did was I did the, uh, I faked a newscast because I was already a criminal. Uh, and so I faked the newscast pretending to be all the different guys. Right. So I said, for example, I said, I said, this is, I had like a little, you know, a little synthesizer thing at the beginning. I said, I said, this is John Tesh, WKIX 2020. I did that radio show thing. WKIX 2020 News. Uh, today, there was talk of detente in the Middle East with uh, uh, Dr. Henry Kissinger. And Maurice Gindy has a story. Mrs. Maurice Gindy <laughs> in Cairo. Today, Henry Kissinger had this to say about detente. I think that detente is definitely a, 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 it's, it's a possibility in the future. But I'm, I'm, and I'm working on it right now. That's uh, Maurice Gindy. Back to you in the studio, John. That's why, That was Maurice Gindy. Thank you, Maurice, for that report. And then I went on to do the weather and the sports mm-hmm. and everything. And I had music and, you know, like, you know, I made little sound effects like, W-K-I-X. I did like a, like a three-part harmony thing for that. And I, um, I, I brought it into, so I asked if I could see Scott White again. And the receptionist said, ah, oh, Scott's, Scott's busy right now. I said, well, would you make sure he listens to this tape? So about a week later, I, I get this call, you know, in, uh, in my apartment, not in my cell phone, of course, because there weren't those. And, uh, and I could hear it sounded like some. It sounded like a like a conference call or something. It was like four or five people, and you could hear Scott White's voice there, and they were just laughing hysterically. And I said, "Who is this?" Oh, John, this is Scott White. Did you did you do this tape yourself? <laughs> and I said, uh, "I said yes, sir." And and then and it, I, there was a guy named Frank Maruka who was the general manager. He says, "Come on, Scott, tell him, tell him." So Scott goes, "Well, listen, if you're willing to work this hard, you can play the religious tapes on Saturday and Sunday morning <laughs> uh, for three. We'll pay you for three hours each day." And so I said, "Sold." So I got the job. Uh, doing nothing but playing tapes, not yeah. talking or anything. Um, so then I, what, what but I, you did, had your foot in the door. At I that had point. my foot in the door, and man, I did not, I did not take it out. I, I went out, and they weren't paying me for this. I went out and I reported on stories, and I, I got a used tape recorder, and I filed reports, and I would hand them to Scott. He said, John, you know, I, I got a police scanner. So I could follow fires around. I mean, it was I'd, I'd be on the job, but you were the it. religious tapes guy. <laughs> well, no, no, no. But, but this is terrible, and, and I and I think that God has forgiven me for this. The religious tapes guy. I would do a thing. Um, I called it a razor blade roulette. And so what I do is I go in there, and this is about, after about a month of doing the tapes. And, and re- a reminder that I'm still a criminal. And so I would take the I'd take a razor blade. And I would just make a cut somewhere in the middle of one of the tapes. You know, mm-hmm. and it was like Billy Graham or something like that. So. I'd be sitting there watching the tapes, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, it would break and the tape would go, 
and, mm-hmm. so, and there was a microphone there. Right. So I would flip the switch and go, oh, I'm sorry, there's been a technical difficulty. Uh, I'm John Tesh. Let's play some music for you. Here's Billy Joel's Piano Man. Or here's, you know, and, and I did a whole show for like two hours, right? Finally, Scott White, after, after you know, weeks of this with the tapes uh-huh. breaking, Scott White says, you know, uh, everybody knows what you're doing. Um, <laughs> would you like a shot at doing, at doing the, you know, the news uh, on, on the weekends? Uh, on Rick D's show, and so they, because I guess they they thought you know this kid will do anything to get on. You the might air. as well get him on the air, <laughs> so he so, stops ruining all of our right, tapes right, and getting rid of that revenue. Tapes. We can't even fulfill our FCC requirements <laughs> because he's killing us. <laughs> Just get him out of the way, you know. So it was definitely squeaky wheel time for me, and um, and that was I just I took that, and then my next job was developing the news film at WTVD in Raleigh, and then the news, the I'm getting ahead of myself, but the news anchor uh, in Raleigh, um, and I'm tw- all of 20 years old at this point, he came in drunk one night. He was like 25 years old, and I was the only guy under 75 years old at the station at Channel 11 in Raleigh, Durham. And, um, and so they, they said, John, you're going to have to go on. We don't have anybody to go on. I was the only guy at the station at the time, really. Um, and so they slapped some makeup. It was like a clown thing. They slapped some makeup on me, handed me this, the, the, the script, and I did the news with Don Shea and, uh, and Skip Carpenter, the news and, and weather guys, and they sort of you know, talked to me through it. There was no teleprompter. Mm. You had to sort of look ahead and look down, and, I, and I, rem- I have that tape somewhere. It was terrible, but they said, they said I could have the job temporarily. They paid me $120 a week. I quit my backhoe job, and, and I, was, I also had a job um, – uh, busing tables at the local deli at Cameron Village, and so I would bus tables, and then the people would look up and go, "Aren't you the?" I was their anchor man. Yeah, it was, it was right. like, um, uh, what's his face uh, who played uh, on on Taxi? Um, they made a movie about a man in the moon. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Andy Kaufman. Yeah, exactly. Andy Kaufman never yeah. quit his job busing yeah. at Jerry's Deli yeah. even after he was on Taxi. Yeah, yeah. It was because I, I, I was afraid that it was because they told me it was temporary and they were looking for somebody, mm-hmm. right? And so I did that for you know about six months. And just bus tables, and like you're the anchor guy. Yeah, what are you doing? It was great, you know. And I got. Are you I, finished I didn't with your fries, sir? I, I had I had to borrow a, <clears throat> a jacket from some from from somebody, but it was uh, it was like lightning struck for me. And then I saw this magazine article. Uh, it was it was a TV guide about this uh, headhunter. Her name was Shirley Barish, and she talked like this. And uh, and she was she was the she was the one that found everybody these great jobs. She plugged all these anchormen in. So I actually cold called her. And she said, no, John, you got to have five years experience before I'll even talk to you. So I made a tape of me doing the news and mm-hmm. I sent it to her anyway. And she said, all right, I got a job for you in Orlando, Florida. This is a woman. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, I said, what? She got, yeah, it pays $17,000. You got to be there in a week. And uh, you'll be doing the news, anchoring the news on their new six o'clock news class. And you'll be, you'll be doing documentaries. So I'm like, I'm sorry, who is this? <laughs> you know? And uh, so I told the guys at w- WTVD, and they're like, why? What are you doing? We're grooming you. And I said, <laughs> so I got in my car. My, 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 I now had a Buick Skylark, a used car with a, with a U-Haul with all my stuff, and I drove to Florida. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And you just, I mean, that's, that's, that's what you got to do, right? You got to go where the jobs are. Yeah. I, and I went from there to, um, to Nashville. Um, I, was in, I, was, I was in Raleigh for four. This is terrible. I was in Raleigh for four months, and there was a guy from Nashville, a general manager who was in, at Disney um, at some meetings, and he saw me on the air, and he called me up and said, young man, you're coming to Nashville. And they offered me a job for They flew me there, and Pat Sajak was doing the weather, and Oprah was on the, on the other station. And, and uh, I did an audition, and they offered me, they gave me $32,000. You know, and this was in 1974. 
And I was all of a sudden I was a correspondent in Nashville for mm. an hour long newscast. It was it was amazing. I mean, it was like it was definitely a God thing. So I th- I feel like we're at a point now where you're starting to, you're starting to get a little bit of success. I mean, you get the Orlando job that turns into the Nashville job. You're sort of you're literally moving up in the broadcasting ladder. We're we're about out of time for today's show, but I feel like that's that seed change is a good place to stop for this one. And maybe maybe not next week, but eventually we'll we'll pick this back up. It's been great therapy, but for me, I could go for another two hours <laughs> right, talking right. about myself. Um, the, the The interesting thing about this, though, is that <clears throat> there are some. Um, th- there, I went from Raleigh, North Carolina, to anchoring the news in New York City at twenty three years old in about three and a half years, and and it just was. I, this is when I had first started to really uh, get back into into praying because things were so bad for me when I was you know was out there in the uh, in, you know, I just on the skids basically making hot dog. I mean I, was, I, I ate hot dogs for like three meals with a, with one of those hot doggers that you plug into the wall. Mm. Um, but it, it's there there are there are lessons. I think in, those are in, illegal now. By the they way, they are illegal. <laughs> there are uh, they're on the black market. There are lessons in here that I love to tell people about that. I, you know, it's about getting a job that I, that have always stayed with me and I've seen you work them too. So, um, the trip from Nashville to New York, New York to CBS sports, CBS sports to entertainment tonight, and then being a full-time musician, there's stuff, there's a commonality in that stuff, um, for a very average guy with average grades that I think people could really use. And I'd love to talk about it next time. I, I I think I've learned a lot from this one. <laughs> You're Just right. About well, yeah, we know each other for years. I mean, yeah. but the but the going from that really dark place where you are you are you had a path and you were completely knocked off the path by your own by your own desires first of all, but then secondly by the consequences of you having not been true to those desires. And then now you're you 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 you're at rock bottom essentially, mm-hmm. and you're you're considering a completely different life, and you still can't let go of that passion, and eventually it leads you to a point of success is is incredible. I I find it fascinating. I like hearing that story. Yeah, it inspires it, yeah, me. Yeah, it was you know, I, I, and I to this day now that I know more about about the Word of God, I, to, to this day I believe that uh, the focus because all I had what's the thing that you guys say at Canuck? You know, faith is only faith if it's faith it, isn't faith till it's all you're holding on to. Right. It's all I had. All I had was was uh, and I barely had had faith. But the only scripture that I had memorized was the Lord's Prayer. But I, I said it differently, you know, I, like because, you know, it's usually when you're in church, our Father who art in heaven, you, know, and you just sort of go through it. And I, I, would, I, I, I would go through it like one word at a time, right? And I wasn't even reading the Bible back then, but I was praying so hard. And I actually believe that, that the combination of prayer and desperation is what manifested the opportunities because I had nothing to lose. I had absolutely nothing to lose by walking into that thing with it with the reel to reel tape it didn't matter to me if it, they if they threw me out cuz i had nothing mm-hmm. i had no i had absolutely no future and and for that to be happening give um uh in a uh, I, I mean to be out of college in a college town where all of your friends are college students mm-hmm. it was um it was it was devastating for me it's incredibly and, lonely it was amazing yeah it was really really lonely and and um uh I re- I I I still have some I I need to get over it, but I still have some animosity for some of the kids that just pretended I wasn't I didn't exist anymore. Right. My only friend was Steve Thomas, you know, the guy who actually helped me uh, become a criminal. You know, he and and um, at and least he stayed with you after he got you kicked out of school yeah, and changed your life trajectory. Yeah, yeah. But I was off the soccer team. I mean, it was just it was I, I, for many years I didn't tell this story 
because it was it was so painful and um and I really was in I was embarrassed by it but um but I you know ha- having gone back to Raleigh now and actually actually played at an amphitheater there in front of 6000 people who paid to come in mm-hmm. it was just so like it was like you know if you just if you just keep God in it and if you just believe it and and if you just don't give up it sounds so goofy but any anything is uh, is possible so I look forward to talking. I know I'm stretching this out, but I, I, no, really look, great. I, I look forward to uh, talking about the rest of the journey because there's some there's some fun stuff in there. And then and then in in 1992, when you became uh, a part of my life, you know, it, it, things changed again, and uh, and got lifted up even more. Well, first of all, thank you so much for being so uh, vulnerable and transparent about your early life on here. It's it's great. Uh, I hope you guys appreciated it. Um, Thank you guys for listening. As always, you can rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And go ahead and leave us a comment. If you like this episode, share it with your friends. Tell your friends about Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. We will uh, we'll, we'll keep doing it. Uh, if you want to get if you want to talk to John directly, facebook.com slash John Tesh or on Twitter at John Tesh, J-O-H-N-T-E-S-H. If you, I didn't say much this episode, but if you want to talk to me, no, it's this is is, I'm interviewing you. I'm interviewing you. So if you want to talk to me, it's at Gib Gerard on Twitter or Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard. Thank you guys. You may have questions about what we were just talking about. I'm happy to answer those. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, we'll what's wrong with you is a good question. (laughs) We'll do a Facebook Live and answer questions about this. All right. So thank you guys for listening.